Hi, this is Jake Kerr, and welcome to The Joy of Writing. This is my weekly podcast where I sit down, take a prompt from the uh, reddit.com subreddit called Writing Prompts, and I write a story live and in front of you. So as you are are sitting down and listening to this podcast, uh, I'll be writing the story in real time in front of you. Um, You have the uh, uh, ability to actually see what I'm writing ahead of time because I record this and then release it later. And then uh, the story that I put together, I uh, have available on the Facebook group. You can go there at facebook.com slash groups slash joy of writing. And you can download a copy of the uh, story that I'm writing so you can follow along. It's available in uh, Kindle, um, uh, iBooks and even PDF format. So you can uh, just grab a copy and follow along with me. Um, in the past, what I've done was uh, type and write while I was doing the podcast. Uh, the trouble is, uh, and you can hear right now, uh, the uh, the keys on this keyboard click real loud. And this is a uh, MacBook Pro, uh, which is uh, uh, my favorite uh you know, kind of writing hardware, but the the clacking and clicking of the keys are uh, kind of distracting for a podcast. So I'm going to try something different this week. Uh, We'll probably delay the release of this podcast, so I hope you don't mind, but I think it's going to make it uh, a better experience. I'm going to write out what I'm uh, writing, and then I'm going to read it to you afterwards instead of doing it at the same time. That way uh, I can go through and edit out the the clicking keys and make this uh, hopefully a more pleasant experience for you. So there may be a little bit of uh, abrupt um, sound in terms of what I'm saying, but I think that uh, I'll be able to edit it well enough that this uh, still turns into a smooth and probably more concise and easier to listen to podcast. So what is the joy of writing all about? Every week, like I said, I write a story in front of you. The inspiration was The Joy of Painting by Bob Ross. Of course, many of us watched Bob Ross paint uh, on Saturday mornings or Sunday nights whenever the syndicated show came on. And uh, really uh, became inspired by his ability to just create a work of art in front of us. And uh, that's my goal of The Joy of Writing, is to create a work of art, or at least a a creative piece of text, so that you can see that you can do it yourself. I walk you through the process, I talk about the decisions that I make, I talk about the paragraphs that I write, the sentences I choose, and and the words that uh, I utilize. Um, This week, uh, the prompt that I chose from uh, Writing Prompts is uh, is a good one because it involves a uh, built-in pacing. So one of the themes that I want to talk about this week is pacing a story. It's one of the things that is very difficult for a lot of people because uh, they want to write down everything that's in their mind. So they'll sit down and they'll start writing, and before they know it, they've got uh, you know ten thousand words, and they're they're just still describing the uh, the uh, the foyer of the uh, of the castle or the uh, the the look of the field that the characters are in. Uh, you don't need to uh, ruin your pacing by being so slow. You don't have to ruin the pacing by skipping over stuff and going right to the action. The key to pacing is really just making it go just fast enough to deliver the story that the reader wants while 
going over the things that they don't. So what makes this a great uh, example for pacing and the challenge that I've put in front of me here? Well, here's the prompt. You wake up in an alley with no memory and 10 strings tied around your fingers. So each finger has a string of, uh, around it. You remove one and remember a voice saying, if you know too much, it could jeopardize everything. You'll know when you need a memory and when you do, just untie a string. Good luck. All right, so this has built-in pacing into it. You've got nine strings remaining. The last string is pulled is the end of the story. It's the the, the denouement leading to the 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 you know we have the grand con you know kind of uh, uh, climax of the story uh, when that tenth uh, string is untied. So we have uh, nine kind of plot points to move along the path here uh, that will take us from the beginning to the end. And we've got a preface in place, which is the first string was already pulled. Now, this is a story that we're going to create um, that has to be a standalone. So we have to kind of incorporate the prompt into the beginning of the story. And I'll get to that in a second. But what I really want to do is uh, right now, think about the story I want to write. So uh, as I've as I've done on every episode, and I'll continue to do, I haven't really figured out when I write, I'm doing this live and in front of you. So the first thing we know is we're waking up in an alley with no memory. So, you know, obviously, there's gonna be some kind of memory, like who I am, or at least that, you know, I know that I'm on Earth or a planet or in some fantasy world. So the first thing we need to do is kind of set the scenery and, and decide where we want this to go. Um, the other thing is, uh, uh, let, let's kind of think about that. I like the idea of this being contemporary, but near future, let's say near future or contemporary with magic, like there's some kind of magical being or, or, or alien species that has done this to the person. So I like the idea of, uh, uh, of maybe contemporary magic, an urban fantasy setting, if you will. Now, there's no wrong answer answer here. You could set this in the past and it's uh, nights with uh, uh, you know a magician maybe did this for someone. Uh, but one of the reasons I like doing it as a contemporary piece is the uh, the, the kind of metaphor, not the metaphor, but the device we're using, strings around your fingers, is a very uh, typical contemporary thing, or at least a 20th century thing that we're aware of. So uh, it feels contemporary. Whenever you uh, are using a string around your finger to remember something, it feels like something that, you know, if not you, your grandfather would say. So we're going to make this a contemporary urban fantasy. Now, the other thing to kind of think about is this is going to be first person, third person, uh, second person, uh, something like that. Um, and, and why are we going to choose that? And then related to that, is this going to be past tense, present tense, or, or some kind of uh, uh, unique mixture of them as we move from uh, string to string? Um, my immediate thought is uh, I like the idea of it being first person because this is a we've lost our memory so it's going to be entirely in the head of someone who doesn't know what's going on there's going to be a little bit of franticness uh, if that's a word there's going to be a little bit of uh, you know kind of uncertainty uh, and uh, I like first person for that so let's decide this is going to be an urban fantasy contemporary uh, it's going to be first person, and now we have to pick a tense. Uh, first person past tense is is very common. More common today is first person present tense. 
And it's worth noting, why do you pick present versus past tense when you're writing? Well, you know, there's a lot of reasons for it, uh, one way or another. Uh, a lot of it is simply fashion. You know, I people will like or be used to reading first person present tense, which is very popular today. So one reason to use it is just because everybody else is. Uh, that's kind of arbitrary, but it's perfectly legitimate. There's things that uh, there's parts of a story that there's no wrong answer for. And uh, tense is not necessarily one of them, but it can be one of them if uh, the story is uh, is told in a certain way. However, this story, and what I like about it is there's that sense of the unknown. We don't know what that last string is going to foretell. What is going to be the last string when we unwind that? What is the, the secret that is revealed? I like the idea of using present tense for a couple of reasons. One is it it, it uh, kind of anchors you in the present. You're going to be in this person's head, not knowing what's going on in real time. And I think there's a, a certain level of tension that that will bring to the story. The second piece, and I think it's uh, it's subtle, but it's important, is if it's past tense, uh, some of the tension is going to go away. Like uh, the narrator, we know the narrator. Uh, you know, is survives. If it's first person past tense, we know that the narrator survived. And maybe we want the narrate the narrator to die at the end of it. Like he pulls the last string knowing that it's something that he should never do because it dooms him, but he does it anyway. And if we do it past tense, it becomes kind of weak because uh you know we're telling his story through his mind even though he's dead. And for that reason I like present tense. So we've kind of come up with the the structure uh, in terms of uh, the basics. First person present tense, we've got a setting. It's going to be an urban fantasy that's contemporary. We've got the basic uh, initiation. It's someone waking up without a memory who pulls a string and gets the first context of what he's in, in for. Um, so let's move on to a couple more of the details. Uh, is this a man or a woman? Uh, or is it a someone who identifies as transgender or gender, you know, one of those, uh, uh, you know, anything that is other than, you know, what would be a typical uh, male-female from 19th or 18th century uh, presentation? Um, I kind of like the idea of making this a woman. Um because part of this I want to make is a certain level of passivity. Somebody, somebody has done something to this person. And what I want to do is have each string pull kind of move me into a little bit more of I'm taking control of my life. Uh, to me, I like uh, kind of going against... Um, you know, cultural norms, uh, cultural expectations. And uh, certainly women in history have been, uh, uh, you know, the passive uh, receptacles of, uh, uh, you know, what's been done to them. And I like the idea of uh, turning it on its head and starting with that and then having the woman slowly uh, through her wits and or abilities um, turn it on its head and have that last kind of rope pull become a affirming moment where uh, it becomes pu uh, an act of heroism. So 
just talking about what I kind of feel like I want to do with the story has kind of led us toward where the plot will go. So we have the, the 10 strings. So we've got 10 plot points. We've got to pace around that. We've got a female lead character. It starts out very passive. Something has been done to her that has wiped her memory and, uh, and uh, put her in a position where her path forward uh, is full of jeopardy. And, and the jeopardy is in knowing what the future may bring. Now all we need to do is move forward. Now, one of the things that you know we can do, we can do this one of two ways. There's the uh, the very uh, risky and challenging, uh, but but quite fun way of simply moving forward. Let's just pull that first string, see where it goes, and, and follow the uh, follow the trail. Um, the other thing we can do is kind of know what that tenth string pull. What does it do? And then we can kind of pace with the, on our way to get there. And I'm going to lean toward that because uh, with a prompt like this, uh, just going down a path is uh, going to turn this into potentially a novel. When you've got ten string pulls uh, and each is going to be its own little story, uh, that it has the potential of, like I said, turning into a novella or certainly a story that's too long for this podcast. So let's make it a short story. And uh, with this being a short story, we need to have an idea of what the uh, container size is going to be as a short story. So let's think about it. If you know too much, it could jeopardize everything. So let's define what everything is. Um, we want to make it personal. It's first person present tense. We don't want everything to be like saving the universe. If it was saving the universe, this would be a good plot for a novel. So let's make uh, jeopardize everything something personal to the woman. Something wants her not to me- remember something because if she does, it will jeopardize everything. We also, I think, to make this even more powerful, we want to make it in her control so that whoever wiped her memory doesn't want her to know, not because it will jeopardize the external factors, it will empower her. So he wants uh, to stop the memory that so that she doesn't do what he or she or whatever the external force wants her to do. All right, that's really cool. We have the, the, the kind of framework for the story. And again, there are no wrong answers here. You could write your own prompt from this as well, but I'm kind of just thinking out loud for you. Um, one of the interesting things about writing a story I'm walking this through. We are 13 minutes into my podcast, and I haven't written a word, but we already have a really good framework for what we're going to write. Everything after this uh, should be that much easier. All right. Uh, let me think about what I want to do. Um, it's got to be personal for her. has to be something that will jeopardize everything, but it's something that she has complete control over. Uh, it's an urban fantasy, so let's add a fantastical element of it. Uh, it's a woman uh, who is empowered. We kind of want to have a political element here. Um, so let's say that the uh, she is the everything is that she's got some power to um, rule the world or empower someone else to rule the world. She's got something unlocked inside her. I'm kind of thinking of childbirth, but that's a too that's a little too visceral for this short story. I don't want to go down that road, and, and uh, uh, we could get to dark places there. I don't necessarily want to go to dark places. And again, there's no wrong answer. You could you could go down those paths if you so desire. Let's say that in her mind there's a key. 
it's a very uh, very much a standard trope of uh, of fantasy. Someone has the key unlocked inside them. It's uh, as classic as R two D two, and uh, it goes all the way back to uh, uh, many uh, hero voyages. Uh, the key is inside you, you know. And when they're on a journey, what they're really on is a journey of self discovery. So this is a journey of self avoidance. The outside forces wants her not to, to discover what's inside her because they know that it's going to jeopardize everything. And why is it going to jeopardize everything? Because if she knows what's inside her, she's going to ruin it because she knows it's evil. So she's got some kind of uh, – or maybe not evil, but the intent is – even if the intent is good – there's an evilness there. Immediately when I think about things like that, I think of the the amazing short story by Ursula K. Le Guin, The Ones Who Walk from Amelis. The, the secret there is just frightening, but it's the, – the, the, and I'm not going to give it away, but the secret there, ultimately the goal was good. It's it's something good for the city, but it's but it's frightening. So let's do a parallel path. So the secret that jeopardize everything is uh, going to be some secret that will uh, – that only she knows that will topple the government. You know, it's it's a secret about the king. Well, no, this is contemporary. Uh, all right, let's make it even more political. It's it's something inside her that uh, the uh, it will topple the presidency of the uh, uh, of North America because we'll we'll say it's near future. So she knows something. It's been buried in her memory. We're getting into kind of inception territory, which is kind of cool. And all she has to do is uh, unlock it, but she doesn't even know what's going on. So a lot of standard tropes here. That makes it a lot of fun, a little bit easier. Now what we got to do is get from point A to point, what's the 10th letter of the alphabet? Well, let's go from point one to point 10. So first let's set the scene. It's first person present tense. So she wakes up in the alley. I'm going to type here and then read out what I type. I had woken up in a lot of alleys, missing a lot of memories, but usually that was accompanied by the rear door of a bar nearby. Okay. We're setting the scene with that very first sentence. It's first person. Uh, I had woken, uh, you know, mentions it's, uh, she's talking about the past, but it isn't necessarily a past story. As I look around, however, things felt different. I had this nagging feeling that whole swaths of my memory were gone. All right, I like that. We set the scene. She's more. She's lost her memory. It's not a drunken binge. She's lost her memory. So now uh, uh, she'll scramble to her feet. I scramble to my feet, and the lack of nausea or a headache confirmed that this was not a due to drinking. How about my memory loss wasn't due to a heavy night of drinking? Now, here's an interesting thing. I wrote, I had this nagging feeling. What's the first thing that you notice there? Holy cow, I'm writing in past tense. And I said I was going to write this in present tense. As I look around, however, things feel different. I have this nagging feeling that whole swaths of my memory are gone. I scramble to my feet. And the lack of nausea and headache confirm that my memory loss isn't due to a heavy night of drinking. All right, we're going to go to a new paragraph. The scene has been set. Uh, we know that a person, we don't know if it's a male, female, or what have you, or who the character is. We don't even know what time it is. We just know that it's a someone waking up in an alley who have lost atypical amounts of memory uh, and isn't outside of a bar. So now we're going to kind of uh, – 
Uh, we're going to set the sex of the uh, uh, of the uh, lead character while relaying the first string uh, and the strings on her hand. So let's do that now. As I pulled myself up by leaning against a concrete wall, I notice ten strings tied to my fingers. And again, present tense. As I pull myself up, we're gonna set uh, we're gonna set a little bit of backstory here that will uh, draw the reader in. So uh, let's do that now. It reminds me of my grandfather who would tie a string to my finger whenever I le- left for the farmer's market with my grandmother to remind me to bring home some of his favorite spiced tea. So what we do there is we have a memory that tie, you know, th- that she has a memory. So not all her memories are gone. So she's got some there and we'll, we'll, we'll refer to that next, but also now we have a context for what these strings are because it reminds her like, Whoa, this is weird. So we have two things. Uh, uh, she's, what we just said is going to strike uh, strike her mind. So let's write that out. My grandfather. We're going to put that in italics. Like she's thinking it's an interior monologue. Popped into her head. My grandfather. The memory was intense. In my mind. Uh, and made me want. Let's do this. The memory was intense. Uh, the uh, Present tense. The memory is intense. And makes me wonder if the unknown memories that I lost had somehow made my other memories clear and more vivid. New paragraph. More than that, however, I wonder about the strings themselves. They are each a single piece of white twine, something you would find in a standard hobby store. Someone was playing a game with me. I was sure. Someone is playing a game with me. Let's put that in italics. I thought that they drug me and are the strings some reminder of mischief I'd prefer to forget. Let's put that in italics as well. This is interior monologue. We're drawing the reader into the scene. Let's go to a new paragraph. She's going to think that it's a game. Someone's fooling with her and she's going to She's going to kind of start ripping the strings off uh, in anger. So remember, we are uh, one of the things is we're pacing here. So one of the themes of this uh, podcast is pacing. We need to get to 10 and we're going to do it in the span of a short story. The introductory ones we can whip through pretty quickly. And uh, let's let's kind of think about where we want to do it. Let's have one through three be kind of, uh, you know, not that, you know, kind of setting the tone. Maybe four is like, holy crap, that really revealed something. Five or six is, uh, you know, hints at something even worse. Seven raises the stakes even more. Uh, eight and nine aren't that, aren't that big. And then, ten, you know, are kind of just raising the stakes incrementally or, or, or flat. And then 10 is the big thing. So let's aim for four, seven, and then 10 are our, are our critical part. Now, the question you can ask here is, how did I come up with four, seven, and 10? Well, the reality is that uh, you could have any number of inciting points that are that are heavy on the the story that you want to put a lot of effort into. It could be three, five, eight, and 10. If you wanted to do it that way, it could be, you know, 
Uh, like I said, if it was a novel, you could have all 10 being a chapter, and that would be really kind of cool too. But we're writing a short story, and one of the things about pacing a short story is you want it to kind of rise and fall. You want it to be tension and then release. Rising tension and then release. And rising tension and release, and then a kind of, uh, you know, uh, kind of the conclusion of the story, the climax, as it were. So um, I'm picking two in the middle, like I said, four and seven, and then the, the climax. Um, that's kind of arbitrary. I picked that because uh, I wanted to keep this kind of a concise story, and it just felt right to me. Like I said, there's no wrong answer. You can do it however you like. All right, let's go back to the story. Uh, interior monologue, someone is playing a game with me, I thought. Did they drug me? And are the strings some reminder of mischief I'd prefer to forget? Let's uh, continue. All right, remember, we don't have to use the prompt as it is written in the story. You know, uh, we can pace out of that and do it however we like. So, for example, the prompt is if you know too much, it could jeopardize everything. You'll know when you need a memory, and when you do, just untie a string. Good luck. All right, so. We don't have to stick to the prompt 100%. It's there to prompt us into a story. So the first thing I'm going to do is instead of just removing one string, she's going to pull off two. Like, boom, boom, pull them off one after the other because she wants to get all the strings off. But when she pulls the second one off, the first one is starting to speak to her. And then it becomes like a holy cow moment. So let's let's do that kind of uh, introductory holy cow moment. So maybe it's more realistic to say instead of four, seven, and ten, it's two in the introduction, and then we aim toward four, seven, and ten. So uh, let's start with two. I rip the first and second strings off and hurl them to the ground. Immediately, a voice fills my head. It is clear and resonant, and without looking around, I know, I just know, it came from within my mind, not from someone hiding up or down the alley. All right, a couple things here. I just realized that I haven't set up that this is a woman yet, and I want to go back and do that. So let's go back to the previous paragraph where she looks uh, at the strings on her fingers. Uh, let's give her some uh, painted fingernails. That will kind of be a, a not a perfect indicator because certainly uh, some men in, uh, uh, in, and uh, uh, transgender people will, will have painted fingernails. But uh, for our till we get to a more solid uh, uh, definition, it'll at least be a hint as to what her gender is. So let's go back a little bit. So here's what I'm uh, going to write. I'm going to say, after I wonder about the strings themselves, they look ugly next to the nails I'd put so much effort into painting the day before. So now we have the idea that the nails are painted. So there's a hint that it's a, it's a female. All right, let's go back uh, to the end. Immediately a voice fills my head. It is clear and resonant, and without looking around, I know. I just know it came from within my mind, not from someone hiding up or down the alley. Now we fill out the text that came with the prompt. If you know too much, it could jeopardize everything. You'll know when you need a memory, and when you do, just untie a string. Good luck. All right, she unst- now here's where it gets interesting. She untied two strings because she did it so fast. So she didn't need to untie the second string, but she did anyway. So what is that memory going to say? Now, we need this to push the plot forward in a significant way. Now, here's a really great opportunity for us. First, we want to personalize it and bring her character out. So let's have it address her by name. This is a very personal thing. Whoever embedded these memory retention strings uh, magically inside her and on her fingers knows who she is. So uh, if you know too much, it could jeopardize everything. 
you'll know when you need a memory and when you do just untie a string. And then we're going to say, as I, as I consider the words, a second string of sentences from the same voice enters my mind. Okay, now how do we want to move this ahead? Um, what we want to do is, like I said, increase the tension dramatically and do it in a way that it shocks her because she did it too fast and whoever embedded the memory has planned a route for her. Otherwise, they wouldn't be one through ten. Okay, I have this idea that something would confront her right away that would make her want to pull another string so that whoever embedded this and is playing the game with her kind of like the the the, the bigger picture game not like the the one she imagines her friends are playing on her uh would know that she would pull the string when she she gets out into outside the alley so let's do something like uh yes you don't remember where your home is and the city is covered by police do not be alarmed but they are looking for you Okay, so she pulls a string, pulls another string, and she's told that she's uh, lost her memory. But uh, you know, she has to be careful because everything will be jeopardized, and uh, she is. Uh, uh, now we have the the scene set. She doesn't know what her home is, but she's surrounded by police. All right, now let's. Now she's we're confused because we're writing this. And we don't know where we're going. She's going to be confused. So let's kind of uh, let's do some uh, uh, narrative from her point of view because she's annoyed. I look down the alley and head to the street. I don't even exit before I see that the voice behind the string is correct. There are police everywhere. It is also correct in that I don't know where I live and it suddenly hits me. I don't even know my own name. Glancing down at my hand, I feel scared and used and powerless. What is happening to me? If the strings are nothing more than hints, I decide. Oh, if the strings are nothing more than hints, I decide I should just untie them all. I remove the third string. Now, she, she removes the third string, and now the voice is going to speak again. Again, I noted that uh, earlier that it's a personal, someone who knows her. So here's where he's going to use her name. Uh, let's do something like uh, Vanessa. Vanessa's good. All right. So the voice is speaking. This is now uh, string number three. Remember, we're pacing this to get to ten. And I'm gonna, After I finish this third one, I'm going to talk about the pacing again. But let's get the third one done. Um, Vanessa. Vanessa, I knew you would untie the third string immediately. You must trust me. They are there to protect you. If you are captured, they will scan your memory and, well, it will not go well for you or the tribunal. Now, I, I chose tribunal there because it's it's kind of vaguely ominous. Um, and we've got police roaming the city, so police defend the city. So now we get a sense that there's this tribunal that's kind of outside the the, the connection to the police. So maybe they're not on the up, up and up. It's just a little bit nebulous, and I like that. Make your way out of town. Head toward the church steeple in the distance. Once you're past that, untie another string. All right, so let's fix this up a little bit. They are there to protect you. Let's make that to each string is there to protect you. Uh, let's leave the they. If you are captured, they will scan your memory uh, there because I, I, I like that's kind of nebulous as well. We now have a framework for the story. Um, each string is a kind of a, a doorway to the next step of her quest and she is supposed to untie each string to move ahead. 
But if she unties all of them, her knowledge will be such that if she's captured, she will give up the information that she has. So I kind of like that. And uh, this is now moving away from where uh, I was intending it when I started this, which is that inside she had something that would uh, kind of bring down the presidential North American government or all that. We're kind of recalibrating here because uh, she's escaping with knowledge that is – important to the rebels, let's say, uh, kind of like, again, the R2-D2, R2-D2 scenario. And, um, but if she unties all the strings, the knowledge will be in her mind and they can scan her memory. And if they scan her memory, they'll have the information that will destroy the rebels too. So, uh, now she has to do it bit by bit so she can get out, but not have enough knowledge that, she puts the knowledge at risk or the information at risk. I like where we're going. This all came to me right now as I was writing. I was kind of sitting down thinking like, what's this mean? And it all kind of came together. So my name is Vanessa and I'm caught up in some kind of intrigue involving the city. That doesn't sound good, but the idea that if I'm caught by the police and had removed one too many strings not being good for me sounds even worse. I have no other options and make my way to the steeple. Okay, so let's talk about pacing. I mentioned that before. We uh, we are now three strings in, and we're about six hundred words in. That's pretty. That's pretty brisk. You know, if the story is going to be five thousand to seven thousand words, which is a short story, um, we're making pretty good progress, um, and uh, we're definitely in line for what we want to do. So I want to I want to make this go fast though because this is a very very short story that we're doing for uh, my podcast. So let's I, I want to rip through these and it's a, it's a good example of how you can make you can pace a story to fit what's in, in your mind. So the the next thing we're going to do is I have to find a way to rip off a bunch of uh, strings. So uh, Vanessa is going to make her way to the steeple. She's going to, let's say, uh, dodge some police. And finally, uh, she looks a little bit too suspicious and one of the police pulls her over um, and uh, asks her questions. She, uh, uh, They grab her arm and they start ripping off strings to, to, to maybe they put a mind uh, reader in her head. And uh, that's when we find out that when they when they take the strings off, no memories come in. It's only when she takes them off. So we have a really interesting kind of tweak there where uh, the, the, we're going to remove a bunch of strings that nothing happens. That's going to be that kind of mid kind of between five and seven that I was talking about. That's going to be that kind of middle ground. So let's kind of get there. Let's have her walk through and be kind of scared of the police and get to that point real quickly where they they nap her. Okay. The streets are alive with people, but everyone looks scared, furtive. The police glare at everyone. I don't know what they are looking for, but most glance at me and keep on looking. I can't remember if I look different or not, but things appear and things appear tense, but manageable. I don't like, that's a little clunky. So I'm going to go back and uh, rewrite that. I can't remember if I look different or not. Let's, let's rewrite it to this. But no matter how I look, the police don't see what they are looking for. All right, time to have her nabbed. So I want to, uh, so she, I, we're talking about her being nabbed, but before we do that, I want to kind of like step back a little bit. 
you know, we want to bring the tension down a little bit and just have her be introspective. She's walking and tense, but we also want to add a little bit of backstory, and this is really the perfect time for that. So uh, let's say the entire way I rack my brain to remember what is going on. And it is in those moments that I realize that nearly all of my memory is gone. I have a vague idea of who I am. I have a vague idea of where I live and that I have friends. I just can't remember details. It's like a shotgun blast blew holes in my memory and I can't link the remaining pieces together. So that last piece is a uh, simile. And I was thinking of ways to kind of make her memory stand out to the reader in a way that they would understand. Like she can remember bits and pieces and, but you know, it's just like overall she can't put them all together. I like the idea of a fog, but that's kind of a cliche, a shroud, you know, all of those things are, are kind of cliches when you talk about someone can't remembering something. I like the idea of doing something different, which is you've got distinct points that are clear, but, and like I said, in the very, and if you remember back in the very first paragraph I talked about how the remaining memories are even more clear to her so I like that that uh, they're all clear things in her mind but the frustrating part is none of them link together and there's pieces that are missing and it's just very kind of a, a different way of thinking of memory loss so the shotgun blast with the remaining pieces not not uh, being able to connect together is something that uh, I rather like. And that's what you do when you write. You, you think of something that you want to explain and define to the reader and you put it in a f- way that they can grasp in a new way or that makes it very clear for them. All right. Now she's going to get nabbed. My thoughts are interrupted by, an ar- by my arm being wrenched backwards. Uh, uh, my arm being wrenched backward. I nearly fall as I, as my forward momentum is reversed. And I am hauled toward a large man. He's a policeman and he nods to another policeman next to him. Memory check. So what I'm doing here is, uh, we're going we're gonna to illustrate that uh, keeping those strings on has been a, a real benefit. But first we have to have her reaction to this horrific, not horrific, but this stunning kind of like grabbed by the police. She's going to be scared and not know what's going on. The unknown horrors of what will happen to me if they uncover the memory hidden somewhere inside my brain overwhelms me. And I start to shake. I can't believe I was so stupid as to just walk through the town thinking that I would be safe. Relax, the second policeman says as he puts a cap covered with wires on my head. I don't move as he tugs on it, tightening it against my skull. It's just a check. Won't hurt, and in 90 seconds you'll be on your way. All right. Notice uh, notice that... Uh, um, um, this is something that they do to a lot of people. So sh- they're looking for someone and they understand that there's a memory buried. So now we're getting a little bit more plot here. They know there's someone out there with this memory buried in their head. They just have to find that person and they're doing memory checks. They know what they're looking for too. Even though we don't, as readers, this is kind of a, a cool kind of reveal for us that the bad guys or the good guys were, we don't know, know what they're looking for. They've got a way to find it. And now the person who has it in her head is under their, uh, is under the things. I prepare to run, wondering if I can make it past the church when the policeman says, all clear. 
All the breath leaves my lungs as I exhale in relief. And we're going to do a little internal monologue here because she's it's in the moment and so exciting. I made it. With, so let's italicize that. I made it. I'm calm, even smiling, as the second policeman reaches for the cap. Just then, however, the first policeman says, she's got strings. At that, the second policeman grabs my hand. A new paragraph because the second policeman's going to talk. Nice try, Missy, he says. We've been looking for you for a long time. Now we see that uh, uh, apparently the string thing is uh, is uh, not unique to her. They were uh, they they were aware of it. Uh, and uh, let's just say, for the sake of argument, that if you put strings on your own fingers, there's a magical way or, or some. Uh, you know, we're kind of somewhere in magic and technology here, so let's just run with it. Some kind of magical technological technological way of spurring a memory. Um, so what's he going to do? Well, I have a new plan here. We we're talking about pacing across ten strings and how we needed to fit it into a story. And I said you could do it in a novel over chapters. You could do it in a short story of five to 7,000 words by doing the four, seven, ten. But the reality is that as I sit here and think about what I want to do, this is a podcast that's meant to be an hour long, more or less, uh, in roughly having stories that are a thousand words long. Right now, I'm almost right at a thousand words. I got about 50 more words to go. So I don't have a whole lot of space. So let's backpedal a little bit and think about how we can pace this faster. And this is what went through my mind when I, I had the, the policeman grab her hand. How can we pace this to where we can take a 10-segment plot and have it end in a thousand words? It's impossible to do it with each one turned over that's a hundred words per per uh, per string removal. It's you know I'm sure it's doable, and I would uh, you know highly recommend you try it if you wanted to do an experiment or or test your own writing. But it's going to be very very difficult to do that without a lot of thinking over each individual word and 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 how you want to put all those pieces together. So how can I pace this faster? I got to get from two strings pulled off to 10 strings pulled off in like a hundred words. Well, the answer is right in front of us. The policeman pulls up her hands and rips off all the strings. She's going to be horrified because each string coming off reveals a memory, but we got a little twist here. It only is revealed if she pulls the strings off. So if they pull the strings off, the memories are buried forever. So we're going to end with an ambiguous ending of they pull all the strings off. They see that she's not the one with the memory they're looking for, even though she was. And she looks at her hands. She picks up the strings. She ties them back on her fingers. She tries to untie them, and it doesn't work. The, the, the guy untying them has removed those memories permanently from her brain, and she has no idea what's happening next. That's how we're going to end it. Now, how did I come up with it? That's kind of a cool ending, right, for a thousand-word story? All I did was sit down and say, hey, I'm at two strings. I need to get to 10. How can I get to 10? Well, have one person rip them all off. Well, okay. Well, that's kind of lame. They're going to get they, – they rip off all 10. They're going to have the memory. They'll take her off to prison. Well, we could absolutely end the story that way. That would be kind of dark and, and kind of not a very good story. Uh, there's not a whole lot of a plot twist there. They take the strings off and she's caught and she goes to prison. So what about the opposite? Take the strings off 
and they don't get the memory. And that's where my head went. I was thinking about what would happen is if they ripped all the strings off and they didn't get the memory, what would that mean? What would mean that she has to take the strings off for the memory to be evoked? And if someone else does, it's gone forever. And we have this kind of bittersweet, tragic yet happy ending where she's safe. She doesn't have to worry about anybody ever kind of coming and taking her for her memory again. But this memory that was buried in her head is no longer open for anybody to have. So whatever her mission was, whatever her goal was, is gone forever. So let's write it out. We just kind of come up with a great ending in a short story, a very short story, a a thousand word kind of flash story that that fits a 10 item plot point uh, uh, and we paste it well. So let's do it. Nice try, Missy, he says. We've been looking for you for a long time. The man holds up my hand and with a thumb and forefinger unties each string. Holds up my hand by the wrist. It's not until he gets to the fifth string that I realize the voice in my head isn't speaking. We're going to go to a new paragraph. She's stunned. So let's let's have her question that. I wonder what it means. They caught me. It's that's a new paragraph. It's a new thought. She's in t- she's she's not being. They're not ripping the strings off her fingers and reacting to that. She's thinking of what the what it means. So that's a new paragraph and kind of a new experience, new thought. I wonder what it means. They caught me. I wonder what it means. They caught me. And they can now access my memories, but the memories or the voice with the memories is not revealing them. Is this a defense mechanism? Now let's go back and give the reader a big hint as to what's going on. Uh, so we're gonna let's go back to the very beginning of the story and his voice. So third paragraph, if you know too much, it could jeopardize everything. You'll know when you need a memory, and when you do, just untie a string. Good luck. Let's do this. Let's add a sentence in there and just say, it's all up to you. Only you can unlock, untie the memories within. Good luck. You'll know when you need a memory and when you do, just untie a string. It's all up to you. Only you, let's make that italicized so we can remember it later. Only you can untie the memories within. Good luck. All right, let's go all the way back to the end of the story. I wonder what it means. They caught me and they can now access my memories. But the memories or the voice with the memories is not revealing them. Is this a defense mechanism? And then it hits me. The voice said I had to untie the knots. I didn't untie these. So let's move to a new paragraph, and we're going to get close to the end. As the last string falls to the ground, the second policeman adjusts the cap on my head. A moment later, he says, all clear. The first policeman smiles and taps his forehead with a finger, and they both move on. Smiles at me. Now she's going to gather up the string. She Something happened. She knows that uh, she has to untie them. But the memories are gone, so she's going to retie the strings on her fingers because she wants to know what the memory is. 
I gather up the string, and as I half walk, half jog past the church with the steeple, I tie strings on my fingers. I don't know if there is a particular order or a particular knot. I don't remember anything, but I do my best. As I get to a field beyond the church, I start to untie the knots. So clearly she wants to know the memory in her head. She's now past the steeple. She got past the police. Uh, her curiosity is killing her. She, there's something inside her that's important, and she needs to know what it is. She lived past the police. She feels like she's somewhat safe. Uh, we need to kind of get that urgency uh, from her point of view to the reader. Um, with each tie, so let's, uh, I start to untie the knots. With each tug, with each tug, a string slides off, and with each tug, my memory remains silent. I untie them faster, with a desperation of having someone scrambling, uh, with the desperation. Let's do that. With the desperation of having someone scrambling to find a diamond lost in the sand on a beach. I kind of like that image, like, you know, uh, and the sun setting. <laughs> Let's add time to that. All right. Pretty rich uh simile there but i think it works we can always fix it in revision work getting this story out the memory it is important it is so important that the entire police force is looking for it the tribunal needs it i don't even know what the tribunal is but i i now feel a keen obligation to them so we've uh, used a paragraph to illustrate the passion inside this woman she has this memory that was locked inside of her it was done for a reason. She had, she was unsure about it. She was scared about it. She probably wasn't very happy about it. But the police took it away from her. They untied all of her strings, and that changed her point of view. Like she had it, and she didn't know what it was, but at least she had it. Now she doesn't even have it, and she doesn't even know what she lost. She just knows it seems like it was important, and that's the desperation I wanted to get out in that previous paragraph. So now we're going to bring it home. Um, but the knots reveal no voices, no memories. Let's make that a single paragraph standing on its own to really kind of underscore the importance of the of the thought as we get to the denouma of this story. Paragraph sizes can be anything from a single word, even a single letter, frankly, to uh, multiple pages. You pick the paragraph size based on the experience you're trying to convey. Uh, if you want to focus on a single kind of thought, feeling, experience, emotion, and it's all you want the, the reader to experience, it can be a single line like I have here. But the nuts reveal no voices, no memories. Um, I kind of like the rhythm of that too. It's, a, it's, it's, not, um, it's not pleasant. But the nuts reveal no voices no memories you know if it was a pleasant kind of rhythm it would be but the knots reveal no voices and they reveal no memories it's it's kind of like a flowing sentence structure that makes sense to us this one's a little like cacophonous but the knots reveal no voices no memories uh, there's no there's no uh, conjunction or noun or verb there it's all implied and i like how that feels so you can do the same thing you know whenever you make whenever you break the rules uh, do it for an effect do it for a reason don't do it just because it sounds right or you think it sounds cool know why you're doing it remember you can break the rules but just do it for a reason all right let's let's uh, finish this up she wanders uh, across the field let's have her sit down and put the strings on and off uh, try every string on every finger and basically at the end 
she's uh, she's uh, devastated because the memory is indeed lost forever. I don't give up. I remove the strings and try again. I place each string on each finger. I try every combination. I don't know math well enough to know how many variations I need, but I try them all. It feels like dozens, possibly even a hundred. Hint, it is a hundred. <laughs> but in the end, the memory is gone. Um, let's do a uh, section break. Three asterisks. I have, and so this is time has passed. I have no memory. I have no way of connecting. Nah, she has a memory. My name is Vanessa. I have memories. So what I want to do is create, like, bring it back to her and the the pain that this has done to her and her failed mission that she didn't even know was a mission. We know her memory was devastated. It's, uh, she has bits and pieces, but they don't seem to connect. She doesn't know anything really, but she knows enough to know that she's missing a lot. And I want to, I want to end with a metaphor, you know, something like, um, you know, uh, puddles of water after a rain they're linked somehow but they're all distinct something like that um, so I'm kind of using my mind to think about you know which metaphor to use um, might use the puddles of rain but let's think about it you know one of the things you can do as a writer is think about the good ideas you have and then think of better ones. It's also a, a maxim in chess, by the way. When you think of a move, the first thing you should do is think, when you think of a good move, the first thing you should do is try to think of a better one. So when you think of a good metaphor or a good simile when you're a writer, the first thing you should do is not pat yourself on the back and move on. It's to try to think of a better one. In this case, I kind of like the puddle imagery, and maybe that is the best move, as it were, for me. But let's think of something else. What else is kind of like tenuously connected, but uh, distinct? enough that they're individual pieces uh, I think of liquids so the puddles thing makes sense to me uh, and you know let's go with that I like it and uh, we can always come back and revise later that's the beauty of writing my name is Vanessa I have memories there are puddles across the landscape of my mind they're all distinct clear easy to understand they're all the result of rain but they do not connect to other puddles I need a lake or an ocean, something where I can bring all of the droplets of rain together into a single hole. Ah, I don't like that. I mean, it's okay. It's actually not even okay. It's not that good. I like the idea of rain being memories that are added to the added to your mind, like rain as being something that, uh, uh, and also has the uh, a really cool. Uh, it's also a common metaphor for crying. So. Let's do that. Uh, my memories are like rain. My memories are raindrops. My memories are raindrops, but rather than gather in a single lake or ocean, they fall on dry ground, creating puddles. Puddles which don't connect into a single... <sighs> 
I don't like this either. This is this entire, I love the idea, but it's just not working. Sometimes, you know, uh, writing is deleting. My name is Vanessa. Uh, let's, let's keep it simple. I wanted to be poetic, but this is a podcast where I'm writing live. So I have to also serve you, the listener, as well as the reader. Uh, and I can always come back and fix on revision. So let's, let's keep it simple. My name is Vanessa. So here's where I'm at. My name is Vanessa. Somewhere in my mind is a memory that was important to someone. And I want to I want to have a concluding line or two. It really does bring everything home. It uh, something let's think of metaphors here or or at least what can this stand for? What do we have as humans that other people think it's important inside us but we don't recognize it and we're not even sure uh, that we have it or that we've given it away or that you know we'll never give it away we didn't even know that we had it to give away I like these kinds of thoughts because if we could kind of create that metaphor for this story it becomes a it com- becomes a deeper story in that way um, so what do we have that is valuable to others that uh, we we don't realize. I mean, love comes to mind. We haven't set enough time to make it love, though. Um, or we haven't been consistent enough in kind of the story we've written behind it to make it love. So let's think of something else. I can't think of anything. So let's let's you know these are the challenges you face when you write a story. That the ending is key, but you can play with the ending. Uh, you know, remember I was saying before that it was like I wanted to play off the the devastation of her memory, and then I said that wasn't working. And then I said I wanted to use a deeper theme, love, or you know something that you give to someone that you don't even realize is important, but to them it is. And I I, I didn't wasn't consistent enough throughout the story to do that. Now let's. Uh, uh, play with something different. Let's 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 turn this into a open-ended ending, where um, her frustration turns into a challenge. She's uh, she's going to unlock this memory from her mind if it's the last thing she does. So uh, let's say that somewhere in my mind is a memory that was important to someone. I will find it, and now we'll bring it home by saying. I have no friends. I have no family. I have no home. Those memories are gone too, but I don't need them. All I need is to keep looking and searching inside my own mind, and I'll find that one memory that was lost. Something like that. That's really sad because she's also lost those other memories and could probably regain them by finding her friends, but it's not important to her. So let's do that. Let's turn it into more of a... It was taken from her, and she wants to, to get it back, and she becomes kind of uh, monomaniacal about it. I will find it. I have lost other memory memories. I can't remember my family, my friends, or my home. But those things don't matter anymore. They aren't the memory. I will find it. Let's go to a new paragraph. All I need to do is remember. And I like that because... It ties the whole memory and, and together with a simple kind of comment that your mom would tell you, like, I can't remember where I put my, you know, shoes. Well, all you need to do is remember. 
and it's the, the kind of non-helpful thing that desperate people will say to themselves. And uh, I think it illustrates her her, uh, her desperation. So there you have it. We are uh, we're at about uh, thirteen hundred words uh, on this story. Um, we it's a lesson in pacing. Uh, I outlined. Um, 10 steps that we needed to get from beginning to end. I started out by talking about how uh, we could do it with uh, with tension points at 3, 7, and 10. We got into the story, and then uh, it became clear that for our purposes, we needed a shorter story, so we couldn't have tension points at 3, 7, and 10. So we had to recalibrate our pace. And the pace, uh, interestingly enough, was to un- go from from basically three to ten and one fell swoop all at once and we rushed the end but we had to do it in a way that didn't make it feel like we were rushing to the end we created a plot point or a plot turn that took us to the end that seemed natural and that's really the final lesson about pacing you what you want to do is bring the reader along to enjoy your story over time and to give them moments to breathe moments to have tension and uh, and uh, and do it in a way that you are bringing them along for the ride that that fits how you want them to go on the ride. You're the one who creates the hairpin turns. You're the one who creates the deep, steep drop from the high level, and you're the one who has the slow, even point before you get to those exciting points. And all of those are under your control as the writer. Pacing is really about making it just make sense to the reader. This is Jake Kerr, and this is The Joy of Writing, and thanks for joining me. 